I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome. It is episode 108 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley in my sort of festive jumper. David Cameron Walker's here. Hello. No uh, festive jumper. No festive jumper. And also joining us on our penultimate show before Christmas, if that works, <laughs> is uh, Adam Williams. Hello. And no festive jumper for me because rather disappointingly, I have ordered a special Ipswich Town oh, festive brilliant. jumper line from the club shop about a week and a half ago and it still hasn't arrived yeah. Mick McCarthy in like a blue Santa's outfit with a beard <laughs> with a beard <laughs> and a white beard and a, and, a, and, a, and a blue and white hat no it's not quite it's, it's a it's a reindeer sporting an Ipswich scarf lovely okay before we go any further this week um, let's tell you to go to audible.co.uk slash going up where you can download yourself as I uh, didn't really quite get the drift of what you were saying at the end of the show last week an audio book for Christmas yes explain <laughs> treat yourself so go to audible.co.uk slash going up. And while you're wrapping all your presents and getting yeah. everything ready, running around the shops, yes. getting all your last minute presents yeah. on Christmas Eve, you can have the soothing sounds of an audiobook yeah. of your choice in your ears. There you go. So audible.co.uk slash going up. So later in the show, we're going to speak to you a bit more, Adam, about uh, Ipswich this season. Uh, we'll also talk about the FSF Awards, which happened this week. We're all raring to go for that. We'll see how we get on. Uh, we're also going to talk to uh, Jim, who's going to be joining us on the phone because uh, he was at the KP on Saturday for Leicester Burnley, the big game of the weekend in the Football League. Uh, but we're going to start, and sometimes we get accused of being a bit Watford heavy on this show, but we are going to start with Watford this week. Hey, you, we've tried to turn it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you, look tried, at, you look at, obviously you support Watford, you look at the results from the weekend, the one standout result was Sheffield Wednesday keeping their first clean sheet of the season. And we're in mid-December at Vicarage Road. Five successive home defeats for Watford. Um, and what's that? Your worst home run in 23 years? Yeah. Something it, yeah. like that. <laughs> OK, right. Well, on the line to talk to us about it, uh, we've got a couple of people who should be able to uh, tell us a bit more. Frank Smith is the deputy sports editor at the Watford Observer. And Lionel Burney is a journalist, Watford fan, and the editor of Tales from the Vicarage. Guys, thank you very much for coming on the show. Before we go any further, though... And get into it. I'm going to play you something. Here we D- go. D- DC, you might have a feeling this was going to happen. <laughs> From our championship preview show at the start of the season, I asked DC who he was tipping to win the championship. I, I am really going to regret this. You're going to play it <laughs> back go to for me. Watford, are you? Time, but I am for once. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to defy my natural uh, feeling to be pessimistic and downplay expectations. But why? Why should I? I sh- we should be optimistic, as I explained earlier on. We were playing the best football in the league last season, and pound for pound. We've got a better team this season. Zola is a wiser manager. It was always the plan this year to go up. Watford will be champions. You still sticking to that? <laughs> oh God, I'm cringing when I hear that now. Oh, I mean, I did have. I think all Watford fans had reason for optimism at, at the start of the season, but it's very easy to say in in hindsight now. I think it was it was tempting to sort of airbrush over the loss of players like Vidja and and Chalabar. Uh, and we didn't know we were going to lose Abdi, and I think those are the three real key things in terms of the team uh, that's gone wrong. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, 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 it couldn't look any more stupid, really, could I? Um, Frank, what do you think are the main differences then to uh, to last season? What's gone wrong so far? Well, it's, it's, I think there's quite a few small contributing factors that all culminate in the sort of the bigger problem. I think you almost need to differentiate between Watford at home and Watford away because I think away from home they haven't been that bad this year. Uh, I think they're unbeaten in four or something along those lines and I think they're close to being Borough and, and Brighton. Uh, in terms of being at home, I think their main problem seems to be that when opposition teams put ten men behind the ball, they just they just can't break them down. Um, it's not a completely new problem because I think last year they, had, they, they struggled a bit at times with that. And I think when Watford have had chances at home, they, they just haven't taken them. They haven't been clinical enough. And I think Saturday was quite similar to other games where they played well in the first half and then just you know fell apart in the second half. And that, that's happened quite a few times. And it's especially on Saturday, it, when when teams put men behind the ball, it's important you remain patient and and you know you don't panic. Whereas the other day they just they seemed a bit desperate in terms of you know trying trying to get the goal. Um, yeah, and, and on top of that, when when they, generally when they do lose possession, they, they've been far too easy to to, to break down. But to be honest, like, there's about another three or four things that I could could pick out. There's quite a lot that's been been going wrong so far this season, to be honest. So, Lionel, let's bring you in. What's your take on the current problems at the moment that are engulfing the club? Yeah, I think. Um... I'll sympathise with something David said about optimism being very high at the start of the season because I think there were grounds for that optimism and when the first couple of games got underway and Watford won 1-0 at Birmingham which is a difficult place to go particularly on the opening day and then demolished Bournemouth in terms of the scoreline 6-1 at home although those who were at the match would have would have noted that you know there were there were sort of issues perhaps with the team but you could have put that down to the new faces still bedding in so I don't think the optimism was misplaced, but I think as a, as the a sort of the summer has given way to autumn and now the sort of depth of winter, the issue with the team is that there's just no pace in it. There's just no cutting edge that, that was evident last year with as the three that David mentioned, Vidra up front and Chaloba and Abdi in midfield. And Frank's point there about needing to be patient when breaking down teams um, who come to Vicarage Road to defend, knowing that there's no real goal threat in the side at the moment. I, I, I disagree with that because what Watford need to do is up the tempo more. They need to play a game that actually hurts the opposition. And at the moment, we're clutching at straws saying we created this chance or we created that chance. But really, we haven't actually got at these teams. Particularly, you, you can't really make much of a defence for the case that we've lost at home. 3-0 against Yeovil and 1-0 against Sheffield Wednesday. No disrespect to those two sides, but they're the bottom two sides in the division. It seems to me that... You know, at the start of this of this bad run, particularly at home, there were a couple of games where the Derby game in particular, where it was a pretty close run thing. You know, there's the game at Brighton as well, where we could well have won the game had the uh, the ball over the line decision been different, and the, the last minute goal at Middlesbrough. There was, you know, a couple of results which nearly went away but didn't, and then you know, a couple of bad performances and injuries follow at home, and then all of a sudden you haven't won in ages, and you're on you're in the midst of a bad run, and confidence is gone. Now, now Frank, what do you think, Zola? Can you know, needs to do to get that confidence back, and do you think he can do it himself? Well, well, I hope I hope he can. Um, I think the the main thing I think when when you do have issues is is you know recognizing that you, you have problems. Um, and to be fair to me, he has been pretty he has been pretty honest, and he has 
you know, he, has, he has accepted and recognised that there have, have been problems. So I think uh, at least he's not at least he's not burying his his head in the sand. And to be fair to him, in the last couple of weeks or so, I think that the team have been far too open at times, and he, he tried to change formation to do that, and it seems to have helped a little bit. And some, I guess, some managers under pressure would maybe, you know, especially at this, at this stage when they've tried different things, would maybe blame the players. And whilst he's been critical, he hasn't done that. So I think credit to him in, in that respect. The thing is, like you say, it's been a, it's been a bad, it has been a bad run, and I'm, I'm hoping he can because he, he is a gentleman, and he, and I think with, like you mentioned there with those two games, I we haven't been terrible all the time there, there's been kind of flashes but it has been too kind of few and far between but you know you, in terms of Liner's point about the, the pace I think he's right and I think Watford could have benefited from from having a bit more pace up front but I do have a bit of sympathy for Zola as well in terms of when you look at the, the type of players that have gone the likes of Hogg and Vidra people like that they that replace, not maybe not a direct replacement for, for Vidra, but the likes of you know Irony, who was brought in, you know, hopeful that he could fill that holding midfield role. He hasn't performed, even though on paper he looked like a decent acquisition with about I think it's about ten years La Liga experience. And Acuna, he he struggled a little bit. I know in the summer I spoke to a, a, a kind of a head of recruitment at one of the other championship clubs, and he he said that they, they were looking at him and that he he backed him to be a big success. So there's been a few and. Well, I guess Fabrini as well, you know, in Italy international, and he hasn't really maybe shown his best. So I think there's a few there's a few players who you know have underperformed since they've come in, and I'm hoping he can turn it around. And I, th- I think he in the last couple of weeks he has tried changing the formation and he has tried changing the personnel. For example, in the, in the midfield where for a lot of the time I don't think the balance has been right, but that seemed a bit a little bit better for a while on Saturday. Um, I'm hopefully can can turn it round. I guess it's maybe the next next couple of weeks and the next few games will ultimately be telling. Lionel, do you perhaps think that um, what Frank was saying there about changing the personnel over the last few weeks might that actually be part of the problem? So I'm just looking at the the stats in terms of who've, who's played and how many appearances the Watford players have made this season. There isn't one player that's been ever present from the starting lineup this season. The defence in particular has chopped and changed a lot. Now, it's not all down, it's not all Zola's fault. There's been injuries, there's been suspensions, uh, there's been lone players that have come in, but we haven't had a settled side this season. Should Zola perhaps just stick with an 11 and persevere with them for a few weeks? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I tend to be fairly old-fashioned about these things, particularly in a league like the Championship, where it, it's a slog. You get onto a role, um, and once you're on that role, you don't want to tinker too much. And I think Zola's management techniques last year were when 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 we came unstuck was when he did things wholesale, like he'd change both of the front players, or he'd he'd sort of rip up the midfield and put put in a different lineup because he thought perhaps we could we could roll Bristol City over away, or we could we could get a good result at Peterborough. Without having to put everybody in at once, and I think that that's one of the key issues is that uh, there has been a, an awful lot of chopping and changing with the lineup. The Sheffield Wednesday match, he reverted uh, for the first time in a long, long time to to four players at the back, presumably as, as Frank said to try and sort of stop them being hit on the counter attack, perhaps as. as as much as they were um, by Yeovil, but then with five in midfield and, and Troy Deeney up front. Now, if you're the Sheffield Wednesday um, players looking at that team sheet, thinking, well, they're, they're playing one forward and then a lot of very similar kind of almost holding midfielders. Really, Anya is the only one that will, will, will go past people and actually hurt them with any kind of um, 
any kind of energy, um, it's, it's quite an easy system to play against. And I think thrashing around for a kind of a, an answer when, when the opposition, you know, the matches come so thick and fast, we've got the Christmas period coming up, you know, Millwall, Queen's Park Rangers, Yeovil again, you know, suddenly you, you're looking at, you know, what will the answer be? And supporters tend to think in terms of, you know, one change will be the thing the thing that that, um, that changes our fortunes maybe you know put Forestieri back in or you know when McEachern comes back that will be better but I think that the problems are fundamental talking about changes of personnel one of the things that hasn't really been addressed too much by supporters perhaps is the fact that a last year's assistant coach Giancarlo Corradini went and one of the areas where as football supporters we're kind of not very well served in this country is we don't really understand too much about how clubs actually work but it does strike me just looking from the outside and from a distance the departure of Corradini maybe that has a more of a sort of significant effect than, than perhaps we appreciate Frank what's the um, what's the mood like among the supporters throughout this uh, run are they um are they particularly um, against Solar amongst this, or is it split down the middle? I mean, what was the reaction after the latest defeat at Vicarage Road yesterday? I think it's quite it's quite hard to almost get a fair reflection because obviously the, the ones that you'll hear are the ones that are on Twitter and you know and Facebook and things like that, and quite often they're maybe a bit more extreme than than a lot of the other fans. So I think it's always quite hard to judge. But obviously, if you don't win for for nine games and you lose. Whether it's five at home, then and if you don't score in four four of those, then yeah, it's it's not great. Um, I think there are there is still uh, you know a section of the supporters that, that are happy to stick with Zola, and I think it has been quite mixed. There's some that uh, you, you know I think I think I saw somebody mention yesterday that, you know we need to get rid of Zola because we might not stay in this division. You you're always going to get extremes like that, which I think you know I think it's a bit extreme. But no, I think they're I think the patience with a lot of fans is wearing is wearing thin. Lionel, I know you've written about uh, the owners in your new book. Do you think they'll be patient with Zola? Well, I haven't actually. I've got an Italian journalist called Paolo Tomaselli who works for one of the Italian sports papers to uh, to write about Gianpaolo Pozzo and Gino Pozzo um, because he's covered Udinese for years and he knows them well. And I think they will be patient to a point. But I think if you read between the lines of uh, Paolo's chapter, the plan is to get Watford into the Premier League as, as quickly as possible, and they will assess the best way to do that. And I do know that the feeling from Italy, if you like, is that they have provided the resources that should be enough. I mean, um, Frank talked about the other people within the game being uh, very positive about some of the players, Acuna and Fabrini, and there is absolutely no doubt that, that a lot of these players, I'd add Farroni to that list, that, that a lot of them are technically highly competent players but the championship is a, is a strange league and without sounding sort of agricultural about it the team needs more than just kind of uh an array of midfielders who who are very comfortable on the ball um it needs a more of a sort of, a, of an enforcer and, and in terms of whether the Pozzos will look at what's going on on the pitch and decide whether the manager should carry the can for that or not, I'm not. I'm not, in, I'm not convinced. I think if uh, if was if Zola were to go, uh, I think it would be of his own accord first. Frank, just I think I, think, I was just going to add to what Lionel was saying. No, I, I agree with everything he said. I think the, the the balance in terms of the midfield in particular, but also through the whole side. Um, has been a bit of an issue and you mentioned the term there enforcer I think that's spot on I think that has been one of the main problems and when I was speaking to, to people around the club they they didn't expect Jonathan Hogg to leave this this summer and also he, he decided to go um, due to being so far away from his family which 
when I spoke to him a couple of years ago, he actually mentioned that it was very hard for him leaving his family up in the northeast. So I do think that that you know the balance and, and the lack of a bit of sort of British steel and a bit of championship know-how, I think that has been that has been a major problem as well. Right, just. Um... Following on from, from what Lionel was talking about about the about the owners and you know it was kind of the thing that all the all the non Watford fans last season who were talking about when when they saw the the rise up the table and this this new way of doing things that was quite alien to English football in terms of loaning all the players from Udinese and Granada and everyone was predicting doom for this summer when they're all going to go back and we'd be left with no squad we kept telling it you know telling them all that it wouldn't be like that and to a degree it hasn't been we signed most of the players in the summer but we have lost a few key ones as we've said and also new ones arrived and do you think that now this could perhaps be a problem looking at it you know in hindsight Zola if, if it is Zola or whoever's in charge of Watford in the coming years, are they likely to have a turnover of players every summer where almost you are going to have to take each season on its own as opposed to a, a, you know something that's building over a number of years? It might be hard for, for managers who are in charge of Watford to build a consistent squad and to keep moving forward if there is, even if it's only three or four new players coming in each season, those players could be key and you know it could be very difficult. Yeah, I think it can be a problem, especially when the players that come in underperform. If Acuna had hit the ground running and contributed with, you know, well, to be fair to me, he hasn't had a lot of, you know, you know, not many chances, but say he had scored five or six and Fabrini had also made the sort of impact that we saw in a couple of appearances in pre-season. Um, and irony, you know, someone with 10 years La Liga experience who, you know, Rizzola spoke so positively about when he did arrive. If those sort of guys performed, a lot of the problems that we're kind of talking about now could have been addressed. You know, someone like you know, the lack of an enforcer, you know, irony potentially could have been that player. You know, someone that can break down defences when, you know, when they're sitting deep and tight is, and space is tight. You know, that potentially could be the, the Fabrini, um, Forestieri mould. So I think that individual players underperforming hasn't helped. But then also, like Lionel mentioned earlier, in terms of the, the dynamic of the squad, I think there has been certain areas which, which have, been, have been lacking from the start. And it goes back to that point of how much control does the head coach have over uh, over the recruitment obviously they 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 reiterated the point at the fans forum that they work as a team and it, and it's a kind of a group decision but there there has been a lack of pace and 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 that's something that well is is that Zola's fault or has did Zola maybe after that but the rest disagreed and if if that's one of the main problems you know and Zola loses his job then is is that a bit unfair because he doesn't ultimately have control over the um, the recruitment side of things and that could that could be a problem the recruitment you know policy of the club because ultimately the head coach is going to you know live or die by what happens and if if they're not recruiting in a way which either he sees fit or what's best for the club then it yeah it, it could be a problem I'm um, I'm just looking at the fixtures and I noticed that on Saturday uh, Watford go to Ipswich and uh, Adam you're an Ipswich fan I know you've got a question about this <laughs> well, I was going to say um, Lionel do you, do you think that this season's now at a stage with this recent run that I suppose you can almost write off the thoughts of promotional playoffs or being an Ipswich fan and a team that's on a recently decent run and has climbed the table. Do you think it, it, that's only a matter of what it takes, really, just getting a few results together and, and you can climb the table in no time? Well, I think uh, what, Watford fans 
fans experience this incredible run uh, that sort of spanned the winter, Christmas, and, and New Year period last year that, that propelled them onto into uh, briefly into the top two, and, and really only the last couple of weeks of the season they uh, slipped into the playoffs and 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 then obviously lost the playoff final. So I mean, nothing in the championship is ever decided until you're completely out of it. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't necessarily rule out Watford going on a run of sort of eight or ten games in which they completely reverse their fortunes. Unfortunately, the evidence uh, currently appearing before our eyes on the pitch doesn't offer us a great deal of hope um, for that. Frank, I want to try and uh, sprinkle a bit of optimism uh, into this discussion. I mean, it's not going very well for us at the moment, but when we try and get a bit of perspective, look at this season, last season, and, and the season's gone by, you know, until the Pozzos arrived at Watford, a seemingly yearly occurrence was our, our best player would be sold in the summer. You know, we'd have uh, seemingly annual threats of administration. Uh, there were managerial changes. Mackay left to a better job. Dyche, you know, was uh, unfortunately sacked, but perhaps not, not really his fault. But, you know, and you had the, the Lawrence Bassini era as well, which was fraught with problems. There was a lot of negativity around Watford and it was a difficult time sometimes to be a Watford fan. We're always struggling with relegation and even if we don't go up this season, even if this season does turn out to be a bit of a disappointment, Watford as a club are in a better position than they've been for a long time. Definitely, yeah. You, you mentioned there, uh, you know, off, off the field, the club's going very well. You know, the, the East Stand, which has been, you know, everybody's been waiting for for such a long time, that's getting done. The Southwest Corner will get done after that. All of those things are all, all positive. Off the field, the accounts look a lot better. And, and if you, you look at Granada and you look at Udinese and, you know, they, the Pozos bring long-term success and whether it's whether it's this year whether it's next year whether it's the year after I'm pretty I'm pretty confident Watford will get promoted to the Premier League and I think it is a matter of of time they you know those guys have the track record to do that and having met Gino Pozzo and spoken to him for around half hour I, I was amazed at how intelligent he was in terms of you know football intelligence he he, he was such an impressive individual and, and that's one point that you know Scott Duxbury and Gianfranco Zola keep pointing out is that Gino Pozzo really does know his stuff he's not he's not one of those owners who you know have got a lot of money and you know they're irrational with it and they don't really understand football and how it works you know this guy knows what he's doing he, he knows how to bring success to other clubs and they've proven that at Granada and Udinese and I'm sure that all of the mistakes that are being made this year and were made last year I'm sure they will you know Gino Pozzo and you know whether it's Zola or somebody else that they will learn from these mistakes and I'm pretty confident eventually that they will gain promotion like Lionel says you can't rule out anything in the championship and I you know, if you look at the quality of Watford squad, you wouldn't rule them out going seven games unbeaten or eight games unbeaten, and you win five, six games in the championship, and you know your season looks completely different. Lots of games, obviously, over the next few weeks, with it being Christmas as well. Um, Lionel, do you reckon there'll be uh, any activity in January in terms of uh, changing things around if this run carries on the next couple of weeks? I really don't know. I mean, there's been a few murmurings from Italy that there might be one or two um, reinforcements to come in, but at the moment, you would you would be more concerned, as I said before. You know, there's, there's there's already a, a lot of a lot of players to choose from, um, but there isn't a team yet out of those players. And I think if we look back at the start of um, last season, that was my big concern: was that, that Zola was being put in charge of a kind of football equivalent of ready, steady cook with a load of disparate ingredients in a, in a carrier bag for him to try and conjure some gourmet meal from, and working out whether you know custard powder will go with tuna. And he managed to he managed to do that. He managed to create a football team um, largely because of the, the individuals that he had um, 
to work with. This year, the the the, the bag of ingredients it doesn't appear to uh, suggest a uh, a sort of uh, a menu topping um, meal. If I can stretch keep that going, analogy keep any going. further, um, but. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't rule out necessarily um, a sort of throw of the dice, but I don't. I wouldn't have thought that they would do anything particularly drastic. I mean, to, just picking up on what Frank said about how healthy things look from the perspective of the Potsos owning the club. I mean, these are people with a, with an impressive business pedigree. They don't do things in a hurry. They don't. They're not particularly rash. You know, they've made multi millions from their um, the sale of and, and purchase of companies. But I don't think that they will just throw, keep throwing. Um, this, you know, they won't just keep throwing players at, at Watford and, and hope that something happens. They will. It maybe doesn't look at, look like it at the moment, but there will be a sort of method to what they do. Um, and and they may well decide that in in January, you know, look, you've got enough. Um, we'll reassess in the summer. Frank, uh, there has been a few bits and pieces in in the Watford Observer recently that suggest that there could be perhaps a striker coming in. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been told by reliable sources that they will, they are definitely targeting a striker, and and that striker will be in addition to the to the regular, you know, what's already in the squad. And on top of that, Zola's recognised that they need to kind of enforce a midfielder. He was hoping that would be George Thorne, and um, in previous games, and it, you know, he he has looked impressive. I thought he had a, a very poor game at, at the weekend, but no, those are the two areas that they're they are really targeting. I think Lionel made a point there about they're not going to just keep throwing players at it. And I think if you look at the Watford squad, they, they're better than not winning nine games in a row and, and not winning at home for five games. And whilst they will they, they will bring in maybe a striker and, and try and secure Thorne on a longer deal or, or maybe bring in another enforcer, but I don't think it's going to be wholesale change. And I think it's one of those where Zola might be given a couple more players and then he'll be asked to, to turn it round and it will then be up to him to use the kind of the tools at his disposal to, to turn it around. Uh, Lionel, while we've got you here, I just wanted to ask you uh, about the the new book, Tales from the from the Vicarage, Volume 2. Uh, the, the first volume came out last year. Each chapter was by a different person who had a story to tell about Watford or a different connection with Watford. Who are the sort of people you've got in this uh, this year's volume? Uh, well, as I mentioned earlier, Paolo Tomaselli, a journalist in Italy who's got a lot of experience covering Serie A and then knows the, um, the Pozzo's pretty well. He he interviewed um, Gianpaolo Pozzo, who is the, the father of Gino, and Andrea Carnevale, who's kind of in charge of Udinese's global scouting network, and also um, Gianluca Nani, who's kind of the, the Pozzo's man on the ground in, in Watford, I suppose. So, I mean, that, to me, having having seen the Pozzo's here for a year, you know, that really sort of added to my understanding of who they are, where they've come from, how they made their money, which were all kind of questions that we didn't really have a, a particular handle on. So for me, that was one of the standout chapters. Uh, we've also got Mike Waters from the Daily Mirror, who's looked back 30 years to a trip he made to go and see Watford play Levski Spartak in Sofia um, in the UEFA Cup, uh, which is the Europa League before it was rubbish. Um, and uh, yeah, he's, he's kind of painted a picture of an incredible trip behind the Iron Curtain, you know, at a time when uh, East and West were solidly divided and, and all sorts of things happened to him on that trip. He's, he was he was offered an, an evening with a Bulgarian's wife in exchange for his Watford sweater. <laughs> Perhaps not something that happens too often these days, I don't know. Um, but yeah, the idea is to kind of get a, a collection of of, of writers with different styles. We've got some journalists and bloggers who all have some kind of connection with Watford. So it's been a really good fun 
um, thing to put together again and uh, hopefully people who get it for Christmas will enjoy it <laughs> nice little plug at the end brilliant thanks for coming on guys we Thank appreciate you. that uh, that is uh, Frank Smith deputy sports editor at the Watford Observer and Lionel Burney journalist Watford fan and editor of Tales from the Vicarage next we're going to turn our attention to the top of the championship talk a bit of Leicester of Burnley and as Adam is here a bit of Ipswich too Okay, so I'm going to call this section of the show a little bit of a bits and pieces type bit. You know, when you run out of food and you've got nothing left in the house, this is what this is on the show. We're not doing one big section like we've just done. We're going to do a couple at once. So uh, Jim is on the line. Hello, mate. Uh, You were at the big game of the weekend in the Football League, which was uh, third against first on Saturday. It was at the time anyway. Leicester won, Burnley won. Uh, You went ahead thanks to that David Nugent penalty. But that man, Danny Ings, on target again. What did you you make of the game? Yeah, I was... I was thoroughly impressed with Burnley. I've seen him a couple of times this year and I knew they were going to offer us quite a bit of a challenge. I thought we had the best of it in the first half, but I think we paid for our, our missed chances. Could have been a couple of goals to the good and probably should have been by half-time. And I think Sean Dyche just galvanised his troops a little bit coming up after half-time and said, look, we could be two or three down here. We're not. Let's go out there. And obviously an immediate impact with Danny Ings equalising just after half-time. Could have lost it though, couldn't you? Danny Ings really should have scored when he was when he was through in the second half. Yeah, there was that was probably their their other obviously clear cut chance. I mean we had a few of our own. There's there's one Jamie Vardy chance at the end where I think it was Lloyd Dyer went to the, the byline and stood it up for him and he headed it wide from all of four yards with the keeper kind of taken out of the equation because he'd gone to the front post to stop the shot. So but I think both teams can, can feel a little aggrieved, but probably a, a draw was quite a fair result, I think. Had you been uh, worrying a little without those couple of defeats in the last few games? A little bit, but I think with the Championship, you know, the, the whole season is going to be a lot of ups and downs for a lot of teams. And we're no strangers to having a complete nightmare after Christmas and New Year as we saw last year and kind of completely dropping out of contention. So I was fairly pleased to get another point on the board. A little disappointed, but at the end of the day, Burnley are, are top of the league and if we can get a point against them at home, then you know, it's not the worst result. There are plenty of teams they'll go and beat this year. So uh, I wasn't too, too disappointed by it all. Uh, we've just got a lot to look forward to in the next couple of weeks, but we've just got to keep our eye on the ball. It's Manchester City on Tuesday and then QPR on Saturday again, so another chance to, to watch us on TV. I was, I was going to ask you about that. Um, given the, the position that you are in the league, you're smack bang in the automatic promotion race um, at, the, at the turn of the year. How important then do you think the game against Man City and the FA Cup game uh, against Stoke are? Are you bothered about them? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's difficult not to be bothered by such big ties, you know, because it, it has been so long since we played I'll say so long relatively in terms of, you know, we've been down to League One and back up to the Championship again since we did play Premier League football on a weekly basis. Manchester City obviously is a huge game. The first time I can remember that we've sold out the ground uh, in quite a while. Um, but Pearson's made no no secret of the fact that the, the league form is the priority and he'll make changes accordingly and we'll just just roll with it. I mean, it's only really honouring the, the talents of the players that have got us there so far. So, it's a fair decision in my view anyway. Just one on, on Burnley, uh, now that you've seen them uh, play. In this, Is this about yeah. Kieran Trippier uh, and no, your mandler for him? I'm not going to mention <laughs> Man of the match, didn't he? He got from Sky at the weekend, another good performance. But I was just going to say, there are still some people who, who are, given that no one expected Burnley to do as well as they have done this season, who are still predicting them to, to perhaps fall off and maybe yourselves or maybe even Derby or someone like that could, could take that that other spot alongside QPR if that's the way it's going to be but do you, do you think having seen them they've got what it takes to be genuine automatic promotion uh, contenders this season? If I was a Burnley fan I'd be thoroughly encouraged by what I saw on Saturday in terms of you're not always going to play your best 
and they still managed to grind a point out of it and they managed to come out second half and, and come at us and I'm going to be honest we're probably one of the we're probably going to have one of the strongest records in the league at home this year there aren't many teams that will come and take any points away from the key power let alone three or, or even one in their case so I think they'll be there or thereabouts I still have lingering doubts about whether they're automatic promotion places maybe they will be dropping down to third or fourth um, over the course of the season but certainly that partnership of Sam Vokes and Danny Ings up front looks looks more than capable um, I think a lot of people at the King Power were probably quite surprised uh, similar to DC's point in that looked at the table and went oh Burnley will be the setters, but they'll kind of burn off but they have got quality in that team Michael Kiteley was decent Trippier as you said put in a good performance and they've got a solid back line as well and one that repelled one of the most potent attacks in the league. So, you know, I can't, I can't do anything to praise them, really, from what I saw on Saturday. Only the best cutting-edge analysis of the Football League on this show. Adam's got a question for you. Um, Jim, you have a couple of Leicester fans that I know who are a bit downbeat about that result where CS they are. That's them. not the question you are going to ask. What was I going to ask? You are going to ask about, about the X Factor. I know. I was, well, oh. I was going to ask, why are you watching that instead of sports personality? Oh, because... There's a representative of Leicester, isn't there, in the X Factor final? Yeah, and also only, that's what you want to see. And, and also, and we've also, got to it now. We've got to it. Yeah, I just remember what it was. <laughs> also, who were those two who were in the crowd last night egging her on? That was Jeffrey Slup and Liam Moore. Um, <laughs> they don't give the best interviews. No, they didn't say anything. Um, I think it's fair to say. Um, and also, Caroline Flack got the name of our mascot wrong, which kind of incensed a lot. Yeah, what did she call him? Um, she called it well, Foxy the Fox or something. When it's yeah, actually Philbo. Philbo the Fox. Oh, Philbo. That's something ridiculous. But that, Felix to be the fair, Fox, you said that. It was. It was Felix they, the Fox. <laughs> you said they didn't have much charisma, but I think they had more than Caroline Flack. In no, fact. no. Well, she's apparently half the team are down there tonight, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Paul Kincheski popping up on your screens tonight when she. <laughs> Didn't think we'd be covering this, did you? <laughs> we came in to do the show this week. Um, all right, cheers, mate. We'll uh, catch up with you uh, at the, uh, the the awards. Have you got, yes. your, got your glad rags ready to go? Yeah, got my uh, black tie ready to go, so I'm looking forward to it. Good stuff. All right, mate, speak to you. Well, I'll see you tomorrow, but we'll speak to you on the show yes. next week. Cheers, okay. that is Jim. I'll get rid of him. Uh, okay, Adam, uh, Ipswich, tell us about uh, this uh, brilliant run you've been on. I think it was three defeats in the last 16 games or something like yeah, that. Yeah, no, and unbeaten in the last six away games. Obviously, the latest of those being a 0-0 draw. At Has Forest this got any correlation Saturday? to Mick McCarthy's beard? Well, you could say that the, uh, the wise um, powers of his facial hair perhaps are um, working a trick. Uh, it's a Tom Huddleston Dean... situation. <laughs> Until you lose, just keep growing it. Yeah, and indeed Dean Gherkin, the uh, the goalkeeper, sports a rather impressive beard as well, has to be said, yeah. um, which he's yeah. kept growing quite immensely that. beyond uh, the So your uh, penalty decision at Forest, I thought it was a good decision. I thought the keeper tried to pull his hands away, uh, but Steve Claridge on the Football League show didn't seem to think so. Yeah, no, he was adamant that it was. Yeah. Um, I actually, uh, It's a bit hard to tell, really. It was one of those ones that you look at it from one angle and it looks like Cox has started going down before um, there's a challenge with Dean Gherkin, and then you look at it from another angle which Billy Davis said and, and he said he looked like he had a guilty look on his face but it was probably because he thought oh no I'm going to get punished for, for this when I've done my best to get out of the way um, it's one of those ones that 50% of the time it probably goes your way the other 50% of the time it doesn't so yeah we weathered the storm but we had a couple of chances ourselves it has to be said and but we also were indebted to, to Dean Gherkin for pulling off quite a couple of decent saves but I'm very pleased with that result a clean sheet uh, at a side like Forest especially at home uh, is no mean feat I think in this division and um, performances in, in the last two or three weeks have been very encouraging I saw them a couple of weeks ago 
at Cheltenham where it was a bit of a strange game. We came out of the blocks and we were all over them for the first five minutes and scored. And then for the next 85, we, we just we, we looked solid and we looked organised and we just resisted um, what was thrown at us. I, I wouldn't say that Cheltenham are the best team um, in the division at the moment. We'll probably come to that later on. Uh, but then they followed it up with two pretty decent results against Blackburn and Huddersfield. And as I said, you know, six games unbeaten on the road, they just seem to have turned a bit of a corner in the last couple of months. But you never, like we said earlier on about other teams, you, you never know what's around the corner in this division. You you could quite easily go on a run without winning for six games as well as um, staying unbeaten for that length of time. Well, as we mentioned earlier, what's around the corner for Ipswich is is the visit of Gianfranco Zola's Watford. Uh, should he still be there? Wager. <laughs> Wager. Yeah, I, well, I think given everything we've been talking about, uh, the, the doom-laden scenarios at Watford and, and the upturning form at Ipswich, it's got to be a Watford win, hasn't it? Probably has, actually. <laughs> um, I mean, home form actually has been a little bit up and down, actually, for us. We've um, we've pulled off some decent results, but at the same time, we've, we've dropped quite a few points and conceded a few goals. We've Especially in games where we've actually scored early and then we've, we've not managed to hold on. I mean, a couple of examples come to mind. Leeds... Uh, and Leicester a few weeks ago when Dave Nugent scored his 387th mm-hmm. career goal against Ipswich in that game um, so yeah it's, it's a funny one you were talking about it earlier on that actually Watford away from home are a bit more um, play a bit more freely and without pressure um, it's the kind of game where the week before Christmas we might rotate a few and you never know but then you do have Doncaster uh, and Bournemouth away after that and then Charlton at home on New Year's Day so you know there are and, and as well you know notwithstanding what we've just said but you know if you look purely at the form table Ipswich at home would would certainly McCarthy is going to be saying to his players you know this is a game we should be winning next week against Watford so four fixtures there where a real opportunity to extend this run and you could be sitting pretty come turn of the year we could be and I think an important part of, of how that plays out is how he rotates the squad and he's done it quite impressively actually for the last two or three weeks where we've had a midweek game on the back of a weekend he's actually rotated quite a few of the front six in order to keep them fresh so you've seen the likes of Frank Newble getting a few more starts now after a prolonged period on the bench you've seen the likes of Ryan Tunnicliffe occasionally drop out for players like Paul Taylor and indeed um, I'm trying to think of two or three others now but my mind's gone blank Jay Tab um, plays on and off and there's a couple other players who've, who've come into the reckoning in recent weeks Anthony Wordsworth being another one who spent a bit of time on the sidelines recently um, who are playing a bit more of a of a pivotal role, and I think Mick McCarthy recognises that from when he first took over about this time last year. That when we actually got to the Christmas period, there were a lot of tired legs, and I believe they played a game at home to Brighton from memory, where they just looked completely out of it for the first half an hour because of the the sheer weight mm. and number of games at that time of year. Going to watch that that game very closely, see what happens on Saturday. Right, a few more thoughts on uh, the weekend just gone, last few days of action. After this, it's time for a My Club celebrating 125 years of the Football League. We're giving fans 125 seconds to tell us all about supporting their club. And today, it's all about Peterborough United. This is We Are Going Up, My Club in 125 seconds. Hello, my name is Jamie Jones and my club at Peterborough United. So, Jamie, can you remember the first time you ever went to London Road? Yeah, it was a long time ago. Back <laughs> in May 1984, we drew 2-all uh, with Darlington. The, the odd thing about that game was the season had pretty much finished uh, and there were only 1,900 people in the ground that day. Thankfully, we get a few more in now. Yeah, and which player has the honour of being the first player you ever saw score for Peterborough? Uh, Trevor Quo, who was a who was a local lad and a, and, and a genuine club legend, he still is now. Yeah, really, really nice lad. It was a 
was a good game that day from what I can remember. Yeah, I was only seven, though. <laughs> uh, building on Trevor, uh, who's your favourite Peterborough player of all time that you've seen play? I mean, back in the, the early 90s, uh, when we first got promoted to the second level, we had a, an excellent striker called Tony Adcock, who we uh, managed to steal from Northampton, which is always nice to steal players <laughs> from them. Uh, and he was he was my first real hero. I think of the modern era, it would, it would have to be George Boyd, who was just a, a marvellous servant to the club and a, a quite unbelievable footballer and, and part of the Holy Trinity with, with Mikhail Smith and Aaron McLean. And now it's, it's brilliant to see him in the, in the Premier League with Hall. Uh, Jamie, you do uh, a Peterborough United podcast, don't you? And I'm interested to know, has that changed your experience of being a Peterborough fan at all? Uh, it, it has a bit. I mean, we've, we've, we've been doing the podcast now for, this is our fourth season. We're going to finish at the, at the end of this year. We figure we've, we've probably done enough. Um, but it's it is, you know, hint we, to us. We do get a lot of, lot of feedback from fans and it, it does make you see things differently. I've been lucky enough to um, interview Darren McAntony a couple of years back and that was that was a real experience as well um, so it so has changed things a bit yeah quick quick plug for it before uh, the clock runs out on this air what's it called uh, Standing on the Glebe our next one will be available uh, this Sunday after we hopefully beat Bradford at London Road <laughs> brilliant Jamie your two minutes is up thank you cheers my club in 125 seconds we are going up we've got the Football League covered Right, we'll have another one of those on the show next week. Uh, But before we get started on our weekend review, though, I've got a quick email to read you. Uh, This is from Corey Doviak, who's who's listening in New Jersey, and it reads as follows. Excellent. Hi, guys. Just found your podcast by accident on iTunes, and I'm a huge fan. In the USA, we've got complete access to all BPL games on TV and some speciality shows on radio, but we've got nothing on the lower leagues. I'm not going to have time to go back and listen to the 105 episodes I've missed, but I'll be tuned in every week. Excellent. So, uh, top man, Corey. And this has got me thinking, we might have done this before, but if we did, it was certainly a very long time ago. Let us know where you're listening to the show from. If you're an overseas listener, let us know where you are well, around the world. Well, it's funny you should say that, because can, we can actually, not, the, not necessarily the downloads, but on the SoundCloud page, I was looking at some of the stats recently. Oh, yeah. And you'll be surprised at just how global our audience <laughs> is <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, I'm sure in, like, in the past when we'd looked, we, we uh, had like, someone in Mozambique yeah. listening. Or, or <laughs> big Papua in the New Cook Island. Island. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> uh, there are two ways to do it. Go to uh, wearegoingup.co.uk slash contact, fill in the form there, or email us wagupodcast at gmail.com. And tell us which lower league side in your country we should adopt. Do that. Do they even have lower league sides in well, America? I don't know. There is a second tier because MLS is no relegation from the MLS, yeah. but there is there is like another league. I think it's the National American Soccer League, yes. which is like the, yeah, the yeah. second tier. So maybe not in America, but if there are lower divisions and you follow like a lower side. Or tell us which uh, English club you support. Yes, especially if you support someone in the Football League themselves. So uh, let us know. Uh, we are going up, uh, .co.uk slash contact or email wagupodcast at gmail.com. Right on to the weekend review then. Let's start in the championship. DC, you've got something to tell us straight off the bat. Yeah, well, just a quite amazing thing, really, uh, on, the, on the face of it from Saturday in the championship. 11 games on Saturday afternoon. And eight of those 11 games, the home team failed to score. Seven of those eight went on to lose, with the exception of Forrest, who, of course, drew new with Ipswich. Um... It seems to me, this is just completely sort of a, an observation off the top of my head. I haven't looked into it in any detail at all, but it seems to me that away wins are increasingly a little bit more common. Are away wins getting easier, Rude? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> I think they might be. Adam? <laughs> well, for, as a team who recently had a bit of an upturn in form away from home, I think they probably are. And we touched on it a bit earlier on, didn't we? That teams seem to play with a little bit more freedom and expression when they're away from home. I don't know where 
don't think that's because we've got a load of teams in the championship who get nervous in front of their own supporters all of a sudden because there's a weight of expectation. Mm. Well, should we talk about some of the teams that did win away from home this week? Uh, Matt Phillips certainly didn't care about not celebrating, did he, against his old club? <laughs> and, and good to see it as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, Blackpool nil, QPR 2. So QPR going back top of the championship. He's picked up a bit, hasn't he? I think yeah, Matt Phillips yeah. of recent weeks scored a cracker. In I the, thought Blackpool the game created ago, quite a lot in that first half, though, uh, from the looks of they the were. highlights. They yeah, were. they did look like they played and when well. they conceded that first goal, they kind of... It fell off yeah, then at that the stage. That had um, there was a mini Classico as well in the mm, North East. certainly was. Carranca against Oscar Garcia. Brighton uh, going great guns at the Brighton. moment. 16 points from 21 now. And uh, Matty Upson, who's getting married uh, today, he as is. we record. But is he going to have the headband on? <laughs> What's he going to look like in the wedding photos? Terry Butcher-esque. Yeah. <laughs> he got, got caught, didn't he? Uh, Derby, another win. Steve McLaren revolution continues. Six wins in a row. They won at Charlton, who, as you were... Uh, alluding to before are certainly mm. struggling aren't they down there at the bottom and um, Leeds winning as well 3-0 at Doncaster in the big Yorkshire derby so they're up into the playoffs now and um, Wigan appointing Uwe Rosler uh, the latest team to win just winning 3-2 against Bolton a few hours ago as we record yeah particularly impressive uh, acrobatic goal from Nick Powell on loan from Manchester United and uh, interestingly uh, this is before the game uh, James MacArthur um came out and said that he's pleased to see after the Europa League game against Maribor in a week that we're going to return to the passing style of football that they were uh, noted for under Roberto Martinez which you know I think is quite telling uh, there was a lot of mm. fans who were unhappy with, with the style of football that Owen Core was playing and clearly the players were too and, and it just makes sense surely when they've even though they were relegated they did have that you know a good few years of of embedding a philosophy into that football club and the players were there surely are more suited to playing that style so it makes sense you know that Rosler is going to continue that he had the reputation for it at Brentford and you know I think you, you've got to watch out for Wigan now I recommend you go and read the bit that uh, Daniel Gee did on our website called The Coil Experiment the blog that he did to uh, read about it from a Wigan fan's perspective you know I actually scored uh, in that game as well as Nick Powell don't you second week in a row we didn't play it last week a massive oversight <laughs> Good to see Neil Dance back on the target. Right. What are you doing? breaking the studio? League One. Um, Adam, much needed win for MK Dons. They were right down the bottom oh, of the form God. table. I, well, I mean, how have they, they ruined your racket, didn't they? At home. Um, um, ridiculous. But yeah, great victory 2 0 at Wolves. Yeah, and an absolutely stunning second goal as ben well. Ben to, to cap that off. And well, that's, that's two defeats in a row, isn't it, for Wolves? So. Yes, of course. It's a, a bit of a person that started off the defeat. To rub insult oh, yeah. to injury was the your person that looks like me apparently. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Bam- that's right. <laughs> Patrick Bamford with another. Um, Mark Warburton has been appointed as uh, Brentford manager. As mm. we, that, 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 who appoints a manager at eleven o'clock on a Monday night? We did the show <laughs> last week. I got home, I've had to start editing it. And then oh, it's like the whole of that chat was completely out the window now. Yeah, but I think we well, we did mention it briefly, I think. And and I think it's a, a an interesting appointment that he seems to have he's one of these guys that's got a very good re- reputation within the game. I don't think outside of Brentford or, or in the wider sort of more casual fans don't really know who he is, but he certainly seems to be a progressive character. He's the guy that started and founded the Next Gen series, which was a sort of under uh, 21 competition that's run for a few years. Um, he used to be a youth coach at Watford. He's got experience of bringing through a lot of those good players that came through at Watford, such as Marvin Sordell, Sean Murray over the last few years. And it you know, just seems to be very kind of one of these new breed of people that's, you know, got a lot of praise. I've seen, I think he was quite heavily involved in the book that Mike Calvin uh, has written about scouting called The Nowhere Men. I think he was interviewed for that book and I saw Mike Calvin praising him on Twitter as well. So, you know, he's not an expected appointment, but fair play to Brentford for going for him. 
And he got a, an injury time winner, last minute winner in his first game, which is always good news. Uh, Jonathan Douglas with that goal and they beat Oldham 1-0. Adam, I've got some uh, some Graham Wesley comments for you that you might be interested in hearing. Mm-hmm. Not, not you in particular, no, not, no. not about you. <laughs> uh, Port Vale 2, Stevenage 2, one of 4-2-2 draws in League One over the weekend, stat fans. Um, now, Stevenage down to 10 men. Who are the stat fans? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Stevenage down to 10 men. Come on! Michael Doughty. Come on, 2-2 two, two draws. <laughs> <laughs> We're showing a second yellow. Um, so Michael Doughty sent off. Graham Wesley afterwards said, I was staggered by the decisions being made out there today. I've got seven cards for my team again. We're going to get another fine from the FA for what I don't know. One of the officials said to me, we're well aware of what's going on. And I beg the question, what does that mean? What is going on? I'll tell you what's going on. There's a prejudice amongst the officials that's going against us. Your reactions, please. Is there a prejudice from football uh, football league referees against Stevenage? Well, I mean, he does have a reputation, doesn't he? And I I do certainly think that reputations for players and managers and teams can precede them. I think in the case of someone, you know, I think Joey Barton in the past is a player that, you know, and people like Robbie Savage in years gone by. If you get Dennis Wise, if you get a reputation for being, you know, a dirty player or, or maybe a diver in the case of Ashley Young or whoever it may be, I think subconsciously perhaps referees might be quicker to focus on you rather than somebody that they may not expect that behaviour from. But in, is, it, is, it, is Graham Wesley right in this case? I'm not sure. But do you know um, something else about Graham Wesley? He uh, was on the radio last week saying that he thinks uh, you should get four points for an away win <laughs> which most of the teams in the championship would probably vote for yeah. this week given what we just said definitely um, Carlisle Tom Lawrence online from Manchester United first ever senior game of football and he scored a couple of absolute beauties didn't he yeah especially the one where he dribbled in and out of about this is a 4-1 win against Drummond Ricky Villa light <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, worth checking uh, out if you can get an opportunity on the Football League show or wherever and also uh, down there at the weekend um, Jack Grealish on loan from Aston Villa to Notts County uh, 18 years old he scored a brilliant goal for them last week he scored another uh, I'd say kind of Maradona-esque goal this yeah. week in a 4-0 away win at Colchester is this, is this the one where he just he just let the, the goalkeeper make an idiot of himself and fall on the floor and he, no, and he that just was, walks um, it in was that, that was the one after one? it I think yeah. but you know Notts County I mean that's two results in the last couple of weeks they, do you know they've, they've got next well, Bristol City the next game yeah. yeah well I just think it shows the psychological impact of getting of pulling a win out of the fire when you're in a when you're in a bad run yeah. they got a few lone players in they got that win last week uh, and they followed it up straight away with another thumping victory so now all of a sudden from you know in the space of two weeks all those players would be on a high and looking the right way up the table we'd love to do some kind of a in-depth League 2 analysis but it's just a massive bloody free-for-all still up there isn't it there's about nine teams separated by I don't know I'm sure you'll be able to get the table up and tell me in fact here we go I've got it in front of me uh, Oxford in first on 37 and Morecambe in Nine for on 32, yeah. So seven points separating nine teams. And then you go down to the bottom as well and you've got uh, Northampton and Torquay currently occupying the two relegation places uh, on 18 oh, points. We should, we should mention Chris Hackett's penalty for Northampton, one of the worst bits of football of the weekend <laughs> yeah. at Bury. Oh, Awful no. penalty. There was, a, there was a worse bit of oh. football at the weekend than that in um, in the Shrewsbury um, oh, yes. game. Tom in Eves. One. Tom yeah. Eves. From, oh. from Bolton. Shocking. Yeah. Almost as bad as Adam Barrett a few weeks ago for for Gillingham. (laughs) Naming and shaming now. Interesting. Uh, Won't mention anything like Sam Sodgy-esque stuff going on there. Um, But (laughs) the, 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 the bottom of the table... Uh, it's just as bad as the top uh, Northampton Torquay on 18 points and then you've got all the way up to Mansfield who are on 17th on 24 points Mansfield away Mansfield are in absolute free fall by mm. the way they haven't won in 11 games but at least it wasn't 7 straight defeats 0-0 at AFC Wimbledon at the weekend 
Paul Cox could be next to go. Yeah, well, and the two clubs below them, both uh, with new managers, Richie Barker at Portsmouth and uh, David Flickcroft at Berry taking charge of his first David game. Army, army. Uh, right, that is pretty much it for uh, this week's show. Um, if you'd like to get in contact, SoundCloud. No, <laughs> completely pulls that up. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to get in contact, at Wagyu Podcast on Twitter, or you can email via the website. Uh, get in touch as well, like we told you to do. Um, and let us know where you're listening. Uh, if you'd like to listen to the show, though, SoundCloud.com slash Wagyu Podcast, or you can get us on iTunes. Uh, please rate and review. Help us uh, bump up the chart if you can on iTunes as well. And what else? Have I, I think that's pretty much it, isn't it? Adam, thank you very much for coming in. A pleasure, as always. From uh, coming in from Reading to do this. And uh, wish us luck at the FSF Awards. Well, by the time you hear this, yeah, so, we'll yeah, if you're listening, know, won't we? If you're listening to this uh, Tuesday or afterwards, you'll be able to know if we've won or not. By well, look, let's be honest, we're not going to win, are <laughs> no. we? We're not going to win because we're going up against, uh, you know, giants, giants. Yeah. of the yeah. podcasting world. We're happy to be there. And uh, I think more what we can look forward to, and, and indeed you listeners can look forward to, is the, the chaos that will ensue so, um, <laughs> from us being in the room full of Premier so, League footballers obviously, and, and free alcohol. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> I know uh, Pete Donaldson from the Football Ramble, and Pete came up to me on Saturday and shook my hand and said, may the best man win on Monday. So he going to be there? Um, I don't think he is going to be there, but I'm sure that the, the rest of them, they're all going to be represented. Yeah. It's going to be a good night. So we'll tell you all about that on the show next week. Wish us luck. And if we do win, we're pretty much not going to stop mentioning it for the next year, <laughs> I would think. Um, right, that's it. We will speak to you uh, in just over a week. So uh, in about seven or eight days' time. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.